Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson. A little bit tired today. Got home late last night from Memphis. Had to get up early, do some radio, all that good stuff. But here we are. Good news is we're able to put another win on the record. Wasn't the best of times for a while. An eventful game, to say the least. Chris Lamonis ejected. I did the math. 177 games as the Mississippi State skipper. First ejection. It was warranted. I thought that the uh, officiating was decent. Maybe the first three innings and then the strike zone got to be a bit of a moving target. Of course, that issue was, uh, you know, in the top of the fifth. State has a check swing not go their way. It was debatable, to say the least. And then there is the check swing from Ben Brooks that was not debatable. He clearly broke the plane, and, and really, the bat heads out in front of the plate. They appeal, as Logan Tanner should, and the first base umpire is kind of like, ah, I think he's safe. That run comes around to score eventually. But before it did... Chris Lamonis lost it. I have no clue what Chris said, so that's the disclaimer. I don't know. You know. He may have said something inappropriate. I don't know. Could have. Next thing I know, he is ejected and then storms onto the field. Had to be somewhat restrained. Didn't have to be held back, but a couple of officials kind of between him and first place umpire. And next thing I know, Chris's hat is on the ground. He's thrown his hat. I haven't thrown my hat on the ground in a long time. But if you know Chris Lamonis, many of you have had some interactions with him. It's a little bit out of character for Chris. Not to say that he doesn't chirp from the top step of the dugout from time to time. He does. That was a different deal. Now, was it theater to motivate his team? Maybe. Was Chris just clearly frustrated with the evening and the officiating? Maybe. It's a combination of both. I don't know. But a lot changed after the ejection. The strike zone got better. The pitching from the Bulldogs got better. Baseball got better. All all that's exciting to me. So whatever motivation there was for Chris Lamonis to have that emotional outburst, the end result ended up being good for Mississippi State. I'm not saying we had to get ejected every game. The truth of the matter is we had to show up at the ballpark ready to go. You know, one of the things, the first five innings, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, you know, and I love Mississippi State baseball, and I feel like that I'm somewhat invested, probably more invested than most in Mississippi State baseball. But I thought, you know, I've, we've had lineups in the past, and it's like, you know, hey, I understand their midweek starter is good, but we should be able to hit everybody. And I don't think that my expectations are unrealistic. We should show up at the ballpark knowing we could hit anybody. And then not only know it, but do it. And it took a while to get us going. And ultimately we did. We took over that ball game and outscored them 10 nothing the rest of the way. We got to get better starts. I don't know where that begins. I don't know if that's in Jake and his pregame, you know, hitting meeting. I don't know if maybe perhaps at times that we think maybe we're just too good to go play with a team like Memphis. I don't know. But it's clearly something that uh, we got to do a little differently. 
You know, I remember last year when we were at South Carolina at Founders Park, a fantastic venue for college baseball. I thought our attack offensively was as good as it has ever been. You kind of saw it happen against Kumar Rock or two against Vanderbilt. We had a plan, and we executed it to perfection. And next thing you know, everybody else is scuffing, like, oh, what do we do? You know, I think sometimes we try to do a little too much at the plate. We do take some selfish swings. We do. And if you're ever near me in the press box, you'll hear me say that. There are times that we don't necessarily play team baseball. And we're going to have to. We've got to get it going, for sure. I love this team. I love the outlook for this team. And I thought last night was a step forward. It wasn't for five innings. But the second half of that ball game, we played like the more dominant team in every aspect, every single aspect, and kind of lost in all of the discussion today about last night's game is how well the bullpen pitched. You know, in you know, middle relief, we were kind of just okay. But the back half of that game, we were absolutely outstanding. Mikey Tepper, Jackson Fristo, arguably their best two outings of the, of the season. Tepper gets a win, Fristo gets a save. That's encouraging to see. Now, we've got to be more consistent with it. You, know, you, you can't keep people off the fastball if you can't throw the breaking ball and change up for strikes. And that, that's kind of where we are. These are Division One hitters you're facing. You know, and there's one of the things, too, sometimes I think that uh, you know, our fans still have kind of a football mentality when it comes to baseball. We think, hey, we should be able to run these guys off the field. It doesn't always work that way in baseball. It just doesn't. You know, it's a team game played by individuals. It's not like football or basketball, you know, where you can have the collective effort where you just kind of elevate everybody around you. At some point, the game finds you. You got an inferior defender, it seems like the ball's always headed his way. You got a guy that can't hit the breaking ball, it's all he sees. So you got to do your individual part to move the team forward. It is a different game. And I don't know if you, if you noticed, there were some familiar names on that Memphis squad some players that we've played against before and some players that we recruited maybe we didn't offer. But there are a lot of guys out there playing at that level that you know, were marginal Mississippi State-type recruits. And maybe it boiled down to a camp performance. Maybe there's two guys in that came in that were kind of similarly situated from a skill set standpoint and one outperformed the other, so one got the offer and one didn't. That's not to say you're playing up against a bunch of scrubs. There's not many players playing Division One baseball that don't deserve to be there. There are a few that you know make the make the jump and never develop. But by and large, when you go face a team like Memphis, especially in their own backyard, they're going to bring a good effort, and they did. And the good news is, is your Bulldogs rose to the occasion and won the ball game. Let's thank our good friends at Bulldog Burger Company. I love them. They love me. They love you too. You will love them if you have not experienced that. You should. If you have experienced, you know. Bulldog Burger Company is a fantastic place to dine. I am not overselling it. It is fabulous. An incredible menu. There's some new items coming. Matter of fact, I'll be uh, tasting some of that soon. I've got to reach out and make an appointment. Some new items coming to the menu. That's one of the things I love about the Eat With Us group. It's never stale. They're always looking to improve. Always. And Bulldog Burger Company really rising among the ranks of the Mississippi uh, restaurants to be able to go sit and eat and have a great time. You can have an adult beverage, have a night out with the guys or girls, have a family night. A lot of versatility there. You never feel uncomfortable there because there's always room for everybody. I love that place. You will too. Have the spring rolls as your appetizer. They'll make you better looking. 
They'll make everybody else around you better looking. It'll change the direction of your day by going to Bulldog Burger Company. Have the smokehouse, have the pimentology, add bacon. You can't go wrong. You go there for that great restaurant quality hamburger, you're always going to leave a winner. And maybe perhaps you're not in the mood for hamburger. Maybe you want to eat a little fresh. Have that BLT salad. I like to get it grilled myself. You might like it fried. It's okay. I don't judge. Three great locations to serve at University Drive here in Stark Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, and, of course, Lake Harbor Drive there in the Ridgeland Flowood area. Central Mississippi has their own Bulldog Burger Company. Go check them out today. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, let's recap the night that was there at Memphis. There are a couple of things I want to say, too. Um, I, I, you know, I hate to be negative. I mean, I, sometimes you can't help it. But there are a few things that I want to say. And, and guys, listen, everybody involved, I love you to death. I do. But AutoZone Park, you got to do a better job. You got to do a better job. The baseball was good. The Memphis people, like the people that work for University of Memphis, very nice. The facility itself needs some work. The people that work there need some work. More to the point, they need some training. A lot of complaints from Bulldog fans about long concession lines, and they had employees there. It wasn't like you had one or two people trying to you know, handle it. And The announced attendance is 4525 I think that might be a bit generous. But I, I just didn't think from a fan experience and certainly from a media experience, it was a great one. And I am pretty well-traveled when it comes to college baseball. I've been a lot of places, seen a lot of things, ate a lot of nachos. But this wasn't it. You know, I get ready to make up my list of favorite places to visit. AutoZone Park isn't going to be even in the top 50, probably. Now, the facility is nice. The amenities have gotten dated. And listen, that's on the Cardinals. But, you know, as far as, like, having, you know, some some courtesy, as far as having some understanding, uh, that's not something you can up or delegate. That's on you. That's on you. You don't want to do the job with somebody else do it. Simple as that. I was very disappointed in that aspect of it. Disappointed Mississippi State's hitting for about five innings, too. Uh, But there were many of you, and I heard you, and I saw it, and I experienced it myself. It was not a great experience in that respect. You know, the baseball, you know, we get the result we wanted in the end. But I didn't think, you know, from a fan experience, like if there were a lot of people saying, hey, yeah, absolutely, let's go there. When we go to Pearl, it's not always perfect. It's not. But it's good. I enjoy going down to Pearl. I think they do a great job at Trustmark Park. They do. Everybody I meet is always like, hey, nice to see you. I remember when we went down to St. Petersburg for the St. Petersburg Bowl. Remember that? That was in Tropicana Fieldhouse. I've been there before. Matter of fact, my oldest son, Ani, fought in a Taekwondo tournament in Tropicana Fieldhouse. Pretty cool. But when we were leaving Tropicana Fieldhouse, every, every single employee that I passed said, thanks for coming. Be careful going home. Hope you had a good time. Hope you had a good day. Is there everything we can do to help you? Let us know. They kind of set a standard. And so when I go other places and I don't get treated that way, I kind of remember that. It's like, sure wish those people from Tropicana Fieldhouse were here. You know, it's like when you go to Duty Noble Field, I'm not going to say we're perfect either. We're not. And and maybe it's because I'm so familiar to people, but every time I pass those event management people, you know, everybody speaks to me. They're nice. They're courteous. If I have a question, they try to answer it. 
They don't look at me with this deer in the headlights look and think like, oh, well, I don't know. Go ask somebody else. You know, there are sometimes I go places and like Memphis is a good example. And I like Memphis. I'm not down on Memphis like some other people are. I mean, I've had some good times in Memphis. Last night, from that aspect, wasn't one of them. I was just waiting when I had a question. Somebody say, hey, here's what you do. Walk down there, stop and ask somebody else. I was just waiting for that to happen. This way, it wasn't good. It wasn't good. And we need to play up there. We do. We need to play up there at AutoZone Park. Uh, it is uh, a, a recruiting hotbed for us. We have a lot of players up there in extreme, uh, you know, northwest Mississippi and, of course, in the Memphis area that we're going to be recruiting. we got to take show on the road, make the Bulldogs available to them. You know, Cameron James hits a home run last night in front of a lot of people that don't always get to see him play. It's a pretty cool thing. And so we got to make this work. And uh, I, I've actually communicated my concerns to, I think, the people that matter and said, hey, here's what, here's what I experienced, you know. And uh, I'm not going to sit here and, and be the, uh, you know, the overprivileged sports writer. But when I began to, to see that you guys had some of the same issues that I had, I think that needs to be communicated. And not that we're a bunch of Karens. We're not all due respect to the Karens out there. We just want to go watch a ball game and have a good time. We just want to be able to go to the concession stand and be able to get food in a timely manner and get back to our seat and not have to miss any of the ball game. Sometimes that's unrealistic. I get it. But last night was not a good job. Now I've said it. Let's get to the ball game. All right. Uh, so Mississippi State starts Brandon Smith. We immediately kind of get ourselves in a little trouble. But uh, we threatened in the top half of the first two, and I thought we were going to get to Gartman. We get a fly out. Davis actually hits the ball pretty well on the nose, just kind of lines it out to left. The ball stayed up, which surprised me a little bit. I thought the ball traveled pretty well uh, last night. Lines it out to left. Looks like it's going to drop. It doesn't. Nice play by their left fielder there. Well, then Cam James walks. Hancock is hit by the pitch. Now you got runners at first and second. And then LT flies out, pops up, excuse me, to the catcher on the first pitch. Now, this is one of those situations, too, as a former hitting coach, kind of drives me crazy. And I get it. This guy's hitting cleanup for a reason, right? He's not hitting cleanup just because you want him to walk the count, get a lot of pitches and uh, take walks. That happens at time to time, and that's part of moving the lineup along. But when we've had a guy that we've already had a five-pitch walk and then he's struggled with control – and he hits the next guy, I think maybe I'm taking a pitch here. That's just me. Now, granted, LT is a star, but I'm probably taking a pitch here. Instead, we pop up behind him. And, of course, he had some big swings later. I'm not down on LT. I love LT. I think LT is going to be a first or second round draft pick. But this, we didn't come through here. And then Hines strikes out swinging on three pitches. And so we have two guys on that were gifted two run, runners in the first, and we don't even move them. We don't even advance them a base. And so that kind of set the tone for the early part of this ball game. When you got a guy on the hook early, you got to find a way to get that big hit, get some juice, get some momentum, put the pressure on them. Baseball is a pressure game. I think people don't always appreciate that because it moves at such a slow pace. But baseball is all about pressure. Bottom of first, we do some things to kind of help them get going too. And so we get a, a ground ball off the short, and we throw high to first. Luke does the best he can to get up and just can't get down in time to record the out there. So an E6 on Tanner Leggett. Ben Brooks and singles to the left side on an 0-2 count. We just catch too much of the plate here. You know, it's an 0-2 count, 
you got a called strike, you get back-to-back fouls, and then we just catch too much of the plate. I mean, I'm going to make him hit my pitch. And listen, I, from where I was sitting, it, it looked like it was just too close to the plate. And what does he do? He lines it in the left. Their best hitter, Kohler, a lot of people think this guy is going to be drafted, you know, middle rounds and uh, high, high enough to go, certainly. But we strike out swinging, and what an at-bat it was. It goes 11 pitches here, and then Brandon wins it, you know, on a, uh, a strikeout. Really great job there. So you get, a, you get a non-productive out, which keeps the runners there. And then right behind that, we hit Brooks. My notes are wrong here. But we hit, we hit Booth, yeah, we hit Booth here. And uh, that loads the bases. Now the bases are loaded with less than two outs. You'd think we're certainly going to give up a run. But we didn't. Brandon bears down, gets a huge punch out of Compton. And then we get uh, Bibaloni to roll out to first. He throws to Brandon, and, and there we go. So we navigate through that storm, but I, I didn't like it. You know, I, I felt we were all over the place. There's a, there's a lot here in this first inning. And granted, it is the first inning. You're trying to sell into the ball game. But you get an error, you miss on a location, you hit a guy. You know, those are the things you do that, that cost you ball games. Top of second, we go one, two, three. Clark rolls over one to first. Cumba strikes out swinging. Jaeger flies out to center. You know, last week it was the, you know, these guys were kind of carrying us a little bit. Uh, last couple ball games hadn't really been the case. Looking for those guys to kind of turn it around this weekend at Arkansas. Brandon, good job there in the second. We were told he was probably going to go two, maybe three innings, but likely two, and he ends up staying three. But in the second, really good job for him. Uh, one, two, three inning, a K-swinging, ground out to third, and we pop up out the short. So we get off the field. Both teams threatening the first, neither did in the second. Top of third, Leggett lines out to right. Again, similar situation to the Davis hit. This is, this is hit really well. It struck really well. It just happened to stay up. I didn't think it was going to. It did. And a nice play, sliding grab up there, if I remember correctly. And then Jess Davis walks. Cam strikes out looking. Uh, I didn't think the call was especially good, but it's too close to take on two strikes. Hancock then grounds out the first, and the Bulldog side is retired. Bottom of three, they get right to work. Daniels doubles to left center. Then there is a single uh, from Ben Brooks to right field that puts runners on the corners with nobody out. Coward then uh, grounds out and gets the run in. Um, so it's a one at the ball game for Memphis. They bring in Braden Webb. Maybe familiar with him. He pinch hits for uh, Booth. Booth got plunked, you know, in that first inning uh, and just wasn't able to continue. You know, get, takes it on the wrist. And then as the game kind of wore on, they decided to pull him from the ball game. Hope that he is okay. You hate to see that. You, you really do. And then Brandon Webb hits into the double play. So we're out of the inning there. Again, we, we give up some damage here, but we mitigate that by getting uh, the double play here. So great job uh, there by the middle infielders to turn this. And again, you, you navigate through that, and you feel pretty good about where you are. You just need to find a way to, you know, to get some runs on the board. It's a one at them ball game, top of four. They bring in Brennan Dubos, who is the backup catcher. And I thought then, well, this might be an opportunity for us to run the bases a little bit. The problem was we couldn't get guys on base. Tanner strikes out swinging, high and grounds out to third, and then Clark flies out to center field. And again, a ball pretty well struck there. And you go back to that R.J. Yeager stroke. R.J. Yeager, that ball is robbed of a home run. If that ball is hit to the left two feet, it's a home run. R.J., 10 more push-ups, and it's a home run too. All right, bottom of four, we bring in Casey Hunt. 
first time he has pitched since opening weekend. And uh, share with you guys on the show, too. We don't need to expect too much right away. Kind of kind of work him back. I'd heard a couple of weeks ago that he should be good to go for the Arkansas series. Not that we you know, we're going to like, oh, we're definitely going to pitch him. But he should be available. And he gets an inning of work. And uh, actually does a really good job. And I thought he overthrew a little bit. But he really attacked Compton. You get a called strike. You get a foul. And then um, we get the fly out there. But the ball was hit pretty well. They barreled it up pretty good. Um, and then Bibbalani flies out to right. And you're thinking, okay, we'll get out of this. Of course, we'd gotten behind the hitter there and had to throw a predictable pitch. But he flies out to right. So quickly, there's two outs. Both balls hit pretty well, but not enough to really make you a little bit nervous. But you'd like to see him get under some, some barrels a little bit and get more ground balls or get a little softer contact. Well, then Swanberg singles to right. We walk Baskin after a full count, and then Z. Wilson just absolutely murders a ball in the right center. And so I go back to these earlier at-bats in the inning against Hunt. Same situation. You know, three guys in the inning barrel him up. Somebody just finally finds a gap here. And uh, listen, I love Cullum Clark to death. He's not the fleetest of foot. And so him having to play that ball to his right is tough. That's why I think Jess Davis is so important for us in center even though he could run this ball down. That guy's got elite speed. But now you know it's a 3 nothing ball game. We get Daniels to fly out. But, again, a lot of contact in this inning from Memphis against Hunt. And we're going to, to be patient with him. I mean, I absolutely are. I mean, he's, he's working his way back. He's, and could be big for us down the stretch. Really, really could be. All right, they bring in JT Durham in place of Garpman. Uh, left-handed here. And uh, he goes right after our guys. Again, a 1-2-3 inning. Combus K swinging, Jaeger grounds out to third, and Leggett flies out to left. And so through five turns at bat, Mississippi State has not netted a hit. Not a lot of ton, not a ton of strikeouts, but we and I won't say we we had a lot of at bats that weren't competitive. We just weren't getting anything to fall. And our body language was not good. It wasn't. It was almost like we thought, well, we'll show up with them over us on our cap. And they will say, you know what? These guys are natural champs. We need to lose this game because they're better than us. I don't think Memphis showed us any respect, and I don't blame them. You come into my yard, you better be ready to play ball. And so give them credit for kind of taking the fight to us the first half of this ball game. And, again, the, the check swing here was just not good. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. That's right, the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year, and me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest, and we'd go up there, and just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scoot. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing. The versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tacovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours, too. Be sure and check them out. Tacovas believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink, and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom-fitted for a new pair of Tacovas boots. 
You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to Nerd Wallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year. Managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup. Putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with smart money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. All right, bottom of five, we bring in Drew Talley. You know, and Drew has not been on the mound, you know, since, uh, you know, the incident that some of you got so upset about. We had some people clutching their pearls because uh, Chris Lamonis used some colorful language. And Drew Talley understands Drew Talley, I thought, responded pretty well in this inning, despite the fact that um, things didn't necessarily go his way. Still, mi- still not missing enough bats for me, though. But we walk Brooks, and this is this is the 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 walk that set it all off. We get ahead 0-2 here, and we, we we tried to get him a chase on a couple, and I really thought ball one and ball two were really not competitive. I mean, they're they're we're talking a foot foot and a half off the plate. Nobody's going to swing at that. It's not going to happen. Don't want to catch too much of the play, but I got to give him something that at least starts in the zone and creeps out and try to get a swing and miss here. But we don't. We do make a great pitch on the full count here, and we get a check swing where the bat clears the plate and we don't get a call, and then Lamonis loses it. Absolutely loses it. I thought the ejection was warranted. I thought Chris's behavior was warranted, and I thought it was an important moment in this ballgame, and Mississippi State really responded. Uh, Cullerton flies out to right, a nice non-productive out there. Then we give up, Brennan Dubos gets a single through the right side. And it was a nice little hit and run play there. You don't see that as much anymore. I love the hit and run, especially when you got a guy can handle the bat. And maybe it's what we need to do to get Luke Hancock going. But uh, Dubos singles through the right side. Now all of a sudden there's runners at first and third with just a one out. And then Compton comes through with a single through the right side and the run scores. Bibbalani then flies out. Swanberg grounds out to third. It's a 4 nothing ball game. And, of course, the run that scores was the runner that should have never been. How many times do we talk about leadoff walks, how that gets you? You got to go out there and compete. Now, that said, you got to hope you can get a call, too. It can't just be about you. I mean, you, the integrity of the game suggests, you know, when you get a check swing, that first-place umpire is there for the appeal. And it's like he wasn't even paying attention. And then he kind of sheepishly he's like, yeah, I think he was safe. You know, listen, make a call. Pay attention. You're getting paid good money to be there. And that's one thing, too, that infuriates me. It really does. 
we're not similarly situated. I get it. There has to be a hierarchy in life. There has to be people that are in charge to facilitate the game and ensure that the rules of play are enforced. But you got to have a better – got to keep your head in the game. You know, it's like we, we say, well, you know, these guys are human. We ex- Okay, so we're going to excuse them for being human. But then it's not human for Chris Simonis to have a human reaction to what he feels like is a bad call and his team is getting jobbed. He's got to defend his team. So if – what's his name, Tim Pittman? If Tim Pittman at first is human – and so is Chris Simonis. Now, you may not agree with Chris throwing the temper tantrum he did, but a lot of that happened after he was ejected. You know, it's like, hey, if I'm, if I'm getting thrown out, I'm going to get my money's worth. And that's what happened. Again, I don't know what was said, but it was a terrible call. And you got to be able to let a guy react. You're going to throw a guy out for something that he said? Give me a break. And then Chris goes out there and gets his money's worth. And I think, I think at that point, it gave him an excuse to wage war, as I mentioned in my column this morning. You know, I think once it happens, you're like, you know, well, hey, well, let, let me get the greatest benefit from this I can. But it costs us a run. Fortunately, it didn't cost us a ball game. And the good thing is Mississippi State went right back to work. Mississippi State responded. And they should have been angry. I was angry. You were angry. Chris Amonis is angry. And the people that need to be angry and focused are the guys out there swinging the bats. That's exactly what happened. Jess Davis works for a leadoff walk there. I really like him in the leadoff spot. I really do. I really do. And I understand his splits against lefties aren't very good. But I think Jess is an elite defender, as the Golden Glove will demonstrate. But also, too, I think Jess is, is really good at the plate working counts. Does a good job of fouling pitches off that he can't necessarily handle uh, to kind of move the count along a little bit. And then Cam James steps up. Very first pitch he sees is over the wall and left. It was a majestic home run. And before the, bat, the ball left the yard, your Bulldogs go pouring out of the dugout. At that point, I felt in my heart, we're going to win this game. Because after everything that has happened, we've been scuffing along. We hadn't been playing well. We made a couple of errors. We walked a couple of guys we shouldn't. Didn't get a call or two. Maybe we're feeling sorry for ourselves a little bit. Things changed with that swing. Everything changed. Everything. Hancock strikes out swinging. And uh, really a good pitch there on one two really tied Luke up and you don't see that happen very often LT steps up fouls one straight back and then he hits a tank out there to left and I think his actually uh, traveled farther than Cam's did so now it's a 4-3 ball game and at this point even though Memphis had the lead the game was over they just didn't know it yet Hines then walks Clark walks and again a chance for us to really make get the big hit here move it along they bring in Chase Kessinger from Oxford Mississippi as a relief pitcher Cumbus hits a ball back to the middle. It is misplayed by the shortstop. He never got his glove down. I know some people would say, we didn't touch it. It shouldn't be an error. It's a, it's a r- fairly routine play. You got to make that play. The ball rolls through. Now it's a tie ball game. Then there's a wild pitch. And we score again. Now it's, it's a... Uh, yeah, now it's a 5-4 ball game. Mississippi State has the lead. All right, and then Jaeger grounds to short, and Compass scores. And again, nice job here of putting the ball in play. Less than two outs, you got a runner at third. You got to find a way to get him home. You got to put the ball in play. Don't need, don't have to have a home run. Don't have to have a gapper. Give me a ball. Give me a ground ball somewhere. Let me get the guy home. Either elevate one so I can tag and score, or give me a ground ball so we can uh, go on contact. That's exactly what happens. So State explodes for six runs in the inning. The inning ends or the half ends uh, with Tanner Leggett grounding out to third. But, again, you look at this, too, and this is the thing I go back to. You know, Luke strikes out swinging. 
Everybody else puts the ball in play. Everybody else in the beginning puts the ball in play. Everybody else that swung the bat put it in play. Two home runs in the inning. Uh, and, of course, Cumbus puts the ball in play. And that's what happens. You hit the ball hard somewhere. You never know what's going to happen. Even our outs, you know, Jaeger and Leggett, they put the ball in play. And you get a productive out from Jaeger. So a very good inning offensively for Mississippi State. It's at least it is now 6-4. And it just felt like, even though we've had all these bullpen issues, it just kind of felt like, you know what, this game is over because the Bulldogs are mad. Mikey Tepper comes in, and uh, you know, last time he was out there, did not have a good outing, really good outing this time. Strikeout swinging, and we get a fly out to center, and then we get a walk. And again, I thought we got squeezed a little bit there, but uh, you know, Mikey gets behind in the count and then starts peppering that fastball in there. Next thing you know, it's a 2-2 count. We just couldn't finish the hitter. And then we get Ben Brooks, the guy that started all the, the Hubri, uh, to strike out swinging. And uh, a guy that had a good ball game against us, too. We had a tough time keeping him off the bases. We do here. Get the top of seven. And again, state tax on. What, what do good teams do when they get a lead? They finish. We finished last night in every aspect of the game, offensively, defensively, and on the mound. Jeff Davis flies out to center field. Then Cam James rips a single back up the middle, nearly hit the pitcher. Then Hancock walks on four pitches. We run a double steal there, and if memory serves me correct, it was an 0-2 count. Not always the best count to run on, <laughs> right? Uh, one thing, if, especially if you've picked up a pattern with them wasting pitches, you know, depending on what you see, if it's going to be a breaking ball down, maybe it's a good one to go on. If it's a fastball away, maybe it's not. But we do. We, we, we run the bases here, and what I felt here is we're trying to finish the game. We're attacking. It is a 6-4 lead, but we're not content to be up 6-4. Uh, LT strikes out swinging. Lengthy at bat here, though. Fouled off a handful of pitches. Well, Hines walks, and so here we are, bases loaded, a chance to really blow this thing open. We don't get the timely hit. They hit Kellum Clark. I would love to have seen him have a chance to swing. But they gift us the run here, 7-4. And, again, it's about pressure. It's about pressure. You get guys on, you steal, you remove the double play possibility, and what does he do? All of a sudden, he loses the zone, and he walks Hines and hits Clark. Now it's a 7-4 ball game. Cumbus then uh, you know, grounds out to second, and they force the runner. Uh, or they ground out to short, and they force the runner at second. And so then another great part of this story is we bring in Jackson Fristo. Now, Jackson got a win over the weekend and did not pitch well, even though we got the win. He just happened to be the pitcher of record when State mounted a big comeback. So he's credited with a win, and he'll tell you he didn't pitch well. He pitched really well last night. Didn't get off to the best start. Uh, Kohler, their best hitter, of course, works the count a little bit and uh, is able to get a single to center field. And then we walk Dubos on all four pitches. And right there I'm thinking, man, this isn't going to end well for us. Jackson, get it together. Well, Foxhall walks out there, and I don't know what he said. Now, Fristo says he told him, hey, I need you to finish this thing. Let's finish this thing. But whatever Foxhall said, I don't know if he went out there and, you know, you know, uttered a psalm or whatever. I don't know. He may have went out there and you know, shared some Motley Crue lyrics for all I know. But whatever he did, it worked. Because from here on out, Jackson Fristo dominated this baseball game. You get a punch out of, of, of Compton, excuse me, a case swinging on three pitches. You get Bibbalani to fly out to center field, the runner tags and takes third. 
and then we get Swanberg to pop up the short, and now all of a sudden we've navigated through this. We have kind of pitched ourselves into some trouble. We pitch our way out of it. Top of eight, State does what good teams do. You begin to continue to expand the lead. It is a 7-4 ball game when we begin the inning. It is not when we end it. Jaeger then singles through the left side. An incredible bunt from Tanner Luggett. I think we have two uh, base hits off bunts this year, both of them from Tanner Luggett. And that's a weapon sometimes I don't know that we fully utilize. I know some of you guys are anti-bunt. I am very pro-bunt. I don't want to bunt for the sake of bunting, but when, you know, when you've got a third baseman playing behind the bag and you've got a first baseman that's got to hold a runner, you're basically dependent on a pitcher to make the play here, and you've got a guy that can lay it down and give him some difficult angles to work with. It makes sense to use that as an offensive weapon. That's exactly what happens here. Uh, leg lays down a near-perfect bunt there. Now all of a sudden you got runners at first and second. I'm, I'm almost wishing we could bunt again. Von Siebert pinch hits for Jess Davis, and then lo and behold, he singles right back up the middle, and the run is home. It's 8-4. Now you got runners on the corners with nobody out. Cam James then flies out to center, and what? Leg tags and scores. All of a sudden, life is good. It's a 9-4 ball game. Hancock then reaches on an error by the shortstop. Ball hit back towards the middle, and he just didn't make the play. Skinner goes to third. Uh, and then ball in the dirt. Luke didn't read it well. It just you, know, you see it in the dirt, and you take off, especially with a runner at third. You feel like you've got a little security here. Kind of got a bad break. It rolls out in front of the plate, an easy play for the catcher. And, of course, he's, he's making that play going towards second. And so Luke has gone down there. And then they walk LT on four pitches. They make a pitching change here. And then uh, there's the wild pitch there, and uh, Skinner scores again. I mean, how many wild pitches is Braylon Skinner going to score on this year? It seems like it happens all the time. Now it's a 10-4 ball game. They walk Hines, and again, you know, we got runners on here. A chance for us to really put this thing away. Works out okay. Uh, Clark pops up to the shortstop. But it's 10-4. We bring Fristo back out for the eighth. An incredibly efficient inning here for him. Two-pitch at bat for Baskin, fly out to center. Two-pitch at bat for Zach Wilson, fly out to left field. And then we get a case swinging on a five-pitch at bat for Daniels. Outstanding inning from Jackson Fristo. Top of nine, we come out. And again, we get runners on. Cumbus flies out to center. Jaeger walks. Leggett strikes out swinging. And then Skinner uh, reaches on a fielder's choice. They uh, force him second to short there uh, at second base. We bring Fristo out for the ninth. And he was outstanding. Again, absolutely outstanding. You get Brooks to fly out to send to the catcher. Excuse me. He popped up, and uh, LT's able to get under it. Kohler strikes out swinging, and then Dubo strikes out swinging, and that's it. And I can tell you in postgame media, Jackson Fristo was incredibly fired up. Like if you touch him, you might have like been you know been slain in a spirit or something. You know, it just he had a different look. And confidence is a difficult thing to beat. It's a difficult thing to establish. It's also a difficult thing to defeat. And that's what Jackson Fristo needs. And Mikey Tepper with a good outing. You get Casey Hunt going, all of a sudden you start beginning to see this bullpen take shape. You know what you've got in Brooks Auger? Well, we need some guys to step up. Last night they did. All right, real quickly, let's look at the box score here. Uh, Cam James, two for three with three RBI and a couple runs scored. Really nice game for him. Kind of a homecoming. Probably the last time he'll ever play. Uh, for Miss, in a Mississippi State uniform in that venue. A one-for-four night for LT, of course, the solo home run, uh, big deal there. Uh, Hunter Hines, 0-for-2, but had three walks. You like to see a young guy being patient. Don't get yourself out. 
He didn't do that. Uh, Kellum Clark, uh, 0 for 3 on the night, did have an RBI and a walk, and that's the hit by pitch. Uh, not a good night for Brad Compass, 0 for 5, but uh, we, Brad's going to be fine. You know, Brad's kind of streaky. Sometimes next thing you know, you look up and you know, Brad's leading team and hitting again. Uh, RJ, 1 for 4, and uh, Tanner Leggett, 1 for 5. So, again, just six hits on the night for Mississippi State. Just very efficient in their work, scoring 10 runs on the six hits. And, of course, Memphis pitching helped us a little bit late. They were shook. Now, and I understand, too, that their Wednesday game with Ole Miss has been canceled due to the threat of inclement weather. Uh, so they pitched a lot of guys last night. And uh, once we got into the bullpen, we hit them all. We absolutely hit them all. And uh, you know, did a good job. I guess that ninth inning we didn't hit Jackson Lions. But you understand my point. We get to start right of the ball game, and then we rock their reliever. Chase Kessinger really struggled. Jacob Gilmore was a guy, too, that struggled to find his own. So, a good job. But the, on the other side of things, Brandon Smith works three innings because of three hits and then the one run, three Ks. Uh, 55 pitches for Brandon. Probably could use him for an inning or so this weekend. I don't think you see multiple appearances from him, though. Uh, Casey Hunt, just the one inning of work, two hits, two runs, uh, and the walk. And, again, my concern from that is he, they, they made so much solid contact. And, again, you, don't, you can't be too critical of the kid just coming back. It's his first appearance since coming off the DL, and he'll get it going. The guy has a lot of swing and miss stuff in, in his arsenal, and he'll harness that. Just got to get him out there, let him face some live hitting. He'll be good. Drew Talley, again, he's the pitcher on the mound when all that craziness happens and does a pretty good job maintaining some composure here. But uh, one inning pitch, the two hits, and then the one run, of course, the run, uh, the walk that caused the ejection. And then Mikey Tepper, a clean sheet for him for the most part. One inning of work, no hits, no runs, one walk, two Ks. And then Jackson Fristo, outstanding, absolutely outstanding. In fact, we're going to award Jackson Fristo our Prime Shrimp Player of the Game Award. How about that? You guys love Prime Shrimp. I'm getting so many great reviews from some of our Boneyard listeners and our Jeans page subscribers. And say, hey, I wasn't sure what to expect. I've tried Prime Shrimp. I love it, man. We've reordered already. You should too. I'm proud to partner with those guys. Great people doing a great job. A New Orleans-based shrimp company that always brings you delicious food directly to your door. And that's the thing. It's so hard to find good shrimp at times. Let's get some uh, down there from a New Orleans-based company. They know shrimp down in South Louisiana. They've been peeling shrimp, Prime Shrimp, my friends there, have been peeling shrimp in the New Orleans area since the 1940s. They have new products all the time. You can have the Simply Seasoned. You can have the French Quarter Alfredo. You can have that Louisiana Crab Bowl. You'll be glad you did. The cool thing is no peeling, no deveining, no messy prep, no messy cleanup. You boil the pot of water, give it 10 minutes, cut open that pouch, drop the shrimp in, throw the pouch away, eat the shrimp, boom, you're finished. I mean, right, one of the best things about shrimp is the taste. One of the worst things about it is the cleanup. It makes the house smell like uh you know, all the other shrimp stuff for like days at a time. You don't have that with this. It's very, very easy to do. You'll be so glad you used it. Go to primeshrimp.com, primeshrimp.com. Use promo code BONEYARD to save a few bucks on your order. And you get a money-back guarantee. I mean, how many things in life are truly a money-back guarantee? And it's food. You can eat it, and if you don't like it, they'll give your money back. It's pretty incredible. Again, that's primeshrimp.com. And so our prime shrimp player of the game is Jackson Fristo. Three innings of work, one hit, one walk, four Ks, and really settled himself after kind of getting himself into a little bit of trouble there. 32 pitches for him, five flyouts, faced 11 batters, and and just really did a nice job. Got his first save, and he was outstanding 
in postgame. I mean, just outstanding. You could just see in his countenance that he's like, you know what, I'm back, I'm back. And now it's about putting together some consistency, right? Now we've got to put together a couple of appearances. Uh, and listen, his stuff at times can be hittable. You know, we see it. When he can't keep people off the fastball, they're going to hit the fastball. Everybody in Division One can hit a fastball. you got to be able to keep people off balance. And when Fristo is at his best is when he can spot up that breaking ball for a called strike. But there we go. And we'll talk about Arkansas a little bit later uh, in the week as we preview. I will, matter of fact, I will record the Friday show Thursday night, so you should have that Friday morning when you open up your applications. It should be there. We'll preview that because uh, I'm going to get on the road as quickly as I can to get on up there and get settled and, of course, uh, head on over to the ball game. Now, Saturday, if you're in Fayetteville, you can see me. I will be signing books. I will be um, – and a books will be available for purchase at the event. There's always some questions about that. Uh, anytime that I'm anywhere signing books, there are going to be people there selling books. So you guys can come get books. Uh, they will have – they will have uh, everything – I'll probably bring some copies of Blooms of Oleander with me if I can remember. But they'll have all of my sports books there for purchase. And uh, that's going to be Saturday. Let me get you the details here. You guys will be happy to know. Those of you that are making the trek to the game maybe hadn't had a chance to get your books. So that's going to be at Farrell's or Farrell's. I don't know how your, your pronunciation is there. That's 311 West Dixon Street in Fayetteville, Arkansas from noon to 3 because it is a night game. So noon to three, I'll be there. And uh, you might even get to see my granddaughter. She might make an appearance there too. How about that? Uh, So we'll check you guys out again. That is Saturday with the MSU Alumni Association at Farrell's, 311 West Dixon Street, Fayetteville, Arkansas, noon to three. All right, let's thank our good friend Blair Chandler at CloseTheBlair.com. It's good to have friends. It's good to have friends that have a little know-how too. It's one thing to have people that just kind of like you, but, you know, it's nice to have people around that when you have a need, you know some people that can help you get things taken care of. That's Blair Chandler. Go to CloseWithBlair.com. He is my friend in the mortgage industry. We'll do a great job for you because he's got the the know-how to get it done. He has the want-to and the know-how. makes a big difference. There are a lot of people that want your business. Blair knows how to facilitate your business. 21 years of experience in the mortgage industry. Works at Fairway Mortgage, recently voted number one in customer satisfaction in mortgage lending. How cool is that? Number two in closed loan volume last year. These guys know how to get it done. They get your loan closed, make you happy at the same time. It's a very arduous process sometimes, very difficult. It's very tedious, very frustrating. It's good to have a mortgage professional. Go to CloseWithBlair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. And here's the deal, too. I'll give you his personal cell number. It's just us girls here, right? 601-500-2344. 601-500-2344. Give him a call or text today. If you mention to him that you heard about him on the bond yard, he's going to pay for your appraisal. That is an incredible incentive. It's about a $500 value. It's one less thing you got to pay for. So whether you're looking to refi or you're looking to buy, Blair can get you taken care of. And if maybe if you're not ready now, he can put you on a path to get you ready. Again, that's the benefit of having 21 years of experience in a very complicated industry. All right, top 10 list. Roy joked with me earlier. He said, you know, the, the good thing is, is that, you know, we, we've, we've had kind of some depressing list. Uh, today is not in tribute of anybody that has passed away or anything. It's just a good, great rock 
modern band. Maybe I said that in the wrong order. A great modern rock band. How about that? It's the band Seven Dust. Got about a dozen albums out. I'm going to rank their top ten albums and give you my favorite song off each of these albums. I love Seven Dust, and I'll be honest with you, I was a little late to the Seven Dust train, but now that I am on it, I am up there in the engine room throwing fuel on the fire, man. I love Seven Dust. I love how big their sound is. There are a lot of these bands today that have this uh, industrial sound, and I dig that too. But I like the fact that Seven Dust can pull it off live. It's, no, they're not studio gangsters. They can show up and play. I've seen them several times. I've never been disappointed. I love LeJean Witherspoon. I think he is a fantastic performer. You know, Sometimes I get up there and even do the cha-cha for you doing some Seven Dust songs. And Clint Lowry, the primary songwriter for Seven Dust, absolutely fantastic. Now, if you are a Seven Dust fan and you have not listened to Clint Lowry's solo album, God Bless the Renegades, let me encourage you to do so. I love that album. I love that title track. Uh, there's a, and of course, there's a lot of Seven Dust elements to it because he is kind of the, the guy behind Seven Dust in many respects. But if you don't know it, go check it out. Clint also a, a uh, member of the recovery community. And if you don't follow Clint on uh, social media, he posts a gratitude list every day. Every day. He'll list three or four things he's grateful for in his life. And I think, too, that's one of those things I'm kind of inspired by that. I mean, I'm kind of a positive person by nature. But it makes me feel good and kind of convicts me at times when I'm feeling sorry for myself and say, you know what, i got a lot to be grateful for. i got a lot to be thankful for. And so even if you're not a person in recovery, you know, it's good to have, you know, write down a few things you're grateful for every day. And uh, Clint does that regularly. He's very meticulous about it, and I do respect that about him, that he shares that with us. All the things in life, like talk about, you know, I'm, I'm grateful to be home from the road, to be with my wife, my kids, I'm grateful to see my daughter do this. And it's like, there's this, this the fabric of our lives, you know, it's like there's these little events that you have. You sit around and say, hey, well, nothing happened today, but sometimes those are the best days. Those are the days when something special happens. It may not be anything financial, you know, but sometimes just making memories with your kids, like the best thing it's ever been. All right, so here we go. Top 10 Seven Dust albums, in my opinion. And then my favorite song from each of these albums. Number 10, and, and it, I hate to say it like this, it's not really a least favorite. I just like some others more. I don't think Seven Dust has put out a bad album. Now, there's some things early on before they really kind of found their sound, you know, when they're kind of, it's a little disjointed at times. But there are a lot of high points on those albums too. But number 10 for me is the album Black Out the Sun. I love this album. It's one of those albums I think you can just push play, whether you are a huge fan of the band or not. I think you'll enjoy the album. The, the track for me from that album was the lead single, Decay. I absolutely love that song. I think you will too. Number nine from the album, Alpha. This was really one of those albums too that got the people said, these guys are for real. You know, there are a lot of bands out there. They'll put out a, a nice debut album. And then, you know, they, they kind of let's like, go away from you here well this was album number six for them so it showed they had some staying power uh it was number six on the u.s rock charge pretty impressive too pretty impressive album and this is when they really began to kind of come more mainstream a lot of people kind of rejected the new metal movement of the late 90s because that's really what dominated when people think 90s music immediately we go to 1991 and we all think grunge that lasted like 15 minutes well, Seven Dust released their first album back in 1997. 
So they were kind of a post-grunge band and kind of rode the wave of change in many respects. But Seven Dust, unlike some of their contemporaries, had some real staying power. And I think the album Alpha is one of the reasons why. I think people said, you know what? These guys are not a flash in the pan. They're here to stay. Here to stay. So we're going to go with the track Driven from the Alpha album, number nine on your list. Number eight from the album Next, which is their fifth album released back in 2005, uh, reached the top 20 on the U.S. charts. And again, you're starting to see these guys kind of find their sound and kind of refine things. We went with the track Ugly. Again, I love it. Absolutely love it. Number eight, Ugly from the album Next. Number seven, this is without a doubt some of my favorite, one of my favorite uh, songs from Seven Dust. There are some days it is my favorite. There's sometimes you're just in the mood, right? So we're going to go to chapter seven, which is the seventh album, ironically enough, Hope and Sorrow. This is one of those albums too. There is, there is a lot of, shall we say, variance on the album. You know, there are some albums you listen to from some bands and everything kind of sounds the same. This one has a lot of range. And it was number nine on the U.S. rock charts, a great album. But here's a pop from my elephant gun. It's Prodigal Son. I absolutely love this song. I love how thick the bass is. It is so incredible. Number six, and I have absolutely rocked this song a lot here as of late. Uh, I, there's sometimes you think, hey, this would be my theme song or whatever. Like if I had entrance music wherever I went, this is the song that I would use. This is one of those that is like always in my thoughts. Like if, I, if I'm ever introduced on a stage and let you walk out to some music, this is one of those songs that will be in consideration for that moment. And it's from the album Animosity, which is the third album and the third consecutive one for Seven Dust that went gold. It's a song Praise. I absolutely dig this song, and I love the little breakdown late. It's kind of like a little dance part they add in there. It's got a little heavier bass line. If you're unfamiliar with Seven Dust and you're looking to kind of jump in, that's the one. To me, that's the song you look at. So you know what? Hey, these guys are a little bit different. They've got a great sound. Number five from the album Kill the Flaw. It's uh, one of the later albums. I've, I saw them on this tour. came out in 2015. Uh, number two on the charts. Yeah, great album for them. They, they've had a couple number ones, too. Uh, you know, Blackout the Sun went to number one. Time Travelers and Bonfires is a compilation album. Kind of some live stuff on there that also went to number one. And so Kill the Flaw comes after the Time Travelers and Bonfires album and goes to number two. Pretty impressive. Pretty impressive, to say the least. I'm going with the song Thank You, which was the, the signature single from that album. Uh, number four, going back, man, going back to when these guys were really beginning to emerge as a headliner in rock scene. It's the album Seasons. This is one of my favorite songs from the catalog and one of my favorite songs from this decade, to be honest with you. Uh, excuse me, this decade, this century. That's how, that's, that's how profound this song is to me, but it's face to face. Say it to my face. I, lo I love how in your face it is. I love everything about this song. I love the little breakdown late in the song when LeJean kind of whispers to you. I, I love it. Number three, from the album Home, the second album, released back way back in 1999. These guys have been doing it for a long time. It's the song Denial. And there were a lot of people, too, that thought LeJean Witherspoon was a bit of a novelty. You know, you've got this guy, you've got these short-haired white guys out here running around playing guitars with this big, heavy sound, and you've got a black guy here with dreads that doesn't look like he fits. Let me tell you this, LJ fits in every way whatsoever. And I think the Home album 
really legitimized him as a vocalist, not just because he was a guy that could get out there and kind of yell and scream in your face, because he can actually sing. He's incredible. And I think Denial is a very good uh, representation of his vocal range. Number two, this is my favorite Seven Dust song. And it actually is from the debut album that came out back in 1997, long before they were making big money and riding in limos and flying in private jets and all that kind of stuff. This is the one for me. This is the one, even to this day, it holds up. The song is 25 years old since it's been released, and it still absolutely hits. There's so many songs that seem dated from the 90s. Like you put them on, oh, I remember where I was when I heard this. Uh, I, I can't remember every place I've been when I've heard this song because I have heard it probably a thousand times because I love it. And again, from a self-titled album, Seven Dust, it is the song Black. And when I saw them play in Montgomery, Alabama, when they opened for Shinedown, they opened their set with this. And I honestly, I could have walked out of there after that one song and feel like I'd gotten my money's worth. Incredible. But number one, my favorite Seven Dust album. You may disagree, and that's okay. That's okay. I think it's okay for us to have... I love to hear your favorites because there are some times... Maybe I should give this another try. But for Seven Dust, for me, my favorite album, and maybe it's because it came out It kind of a... A, a difficult or maybe a transforming time in my life. You know, I was getting ready to kind of wrap up in Baton Rouge and uh, was really wanting to be up here with you guys. And, uh, you know, that took about a year away. But I was really unhappy in Baton Rouge. I was just kind of tired of being there. Life had changed a lot down there. And I just I just wanted out. And, um, and so Cold Day Memory came out. And, uh, you know, it took, again, it took me a few years to get here. And I guess I may give you the wrong date earlier. But, uh, Cold Day Memory is the album. I absolutely love this album. Again, it's one of those that I think you can put on and listen to, to every single song on this album without having to come up for air. I think you'll absolutely love it. And again, Clint Lowry, you know, the, the primary songwriter on all this. But um, I could have gone a lot of different directions here. I could have gone forever. I could have gone last breath. I could have gone right insane, and one of these days I'm going to get a seven dust tattoo, and it's going to be after that song writings. I already know; I've already got an idea of how I'm going to lay it out. I think I know where I want to put it too. But it's a song unraveling, unraveling from Cold Day Memory. That's your number one song today. My favorite song from their best album, in my mind, is unraveling from Cold Day Memory. Be sure and check it out. You'll be glad you did. Enjoy some seven dust. Get those fists in the air. All right, let me remind you guys, too, uh, many of you are walking around with substandard cologne. You just are. I'm just going to give it to you straight. We're friends, so we can be honest with each other. I'm not. I'm at another level right now when it comes to cologne. Thanks to my friends at Hawthorne.co. That's H-A-W-T-H-O-R-N-E.co. Check them out today. Go take the little quiz. You'll be glad you did. It's very, very easy. You answer questions based on your preferences, and then they tailor cologne for you. How how many things in your life are specifically designed for you? Very, very few, right? Well, you can get your work sent. You get your place sent. Maybe you want to be a little more festive, right? Maybe you don't want to be quite as overbearing at work, but maybe you want to make sure you're putting out the right scents. Hawthorne can help you do that. It's H-A-W-T-H-O-R-N-E dot C-O. And use promo code code Boneyard when you visit their site. You'll be glad you did because it's going to save you a little money. How about that? I have it all. I have the shampoo, the conditioner, 
the lotion, the deodorant, the body wash, the work scent, the play scent, you get it all. I'm telling you, I cannot overstate how important this product is in my life. I wear it everywhere. I get compliments all the time. People say, Steve, what are you wearing? Oh, you smell good. And nothing makes you feel better than that. You look good. You feel good. You smell good. Life is good. That's Hawthorne, H-A-W-T-H-O-R-N-E dot C-O. All right, next segment of the show brought to you by your friends at Campus Book Mart. I love Campus Book Mart, too. Stand to man, Miss Kathy Brown, the lovely, talented Susie, they're like family to me. They'll treat you like family, too, because that's a quality of people that they are. Campus Book Mart, a Stark Billion institution, right there on the backside of campus. Be sure and go check them out today. If you can't make it to town, visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays, and that's BSR which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. That gets you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. A lot of people out there peddling Mississippi State merch. You won't find a better selection or better service than you'll find at Campus Bookmart. Again, that's campusbookmart.net, promo code BSR. All right, busy night in the SEC on Tuesday. I mean, a really, really busy night. Our friends at the University of Georgia, they sustain a tough game with Georgia Southern. Seven to two winners for the Bulldogs there. Eastern Kentucky with a bit of an upset. And here's the thing about Eastern Kentucky. They're kind of quietly putting together, you know, a decent season. They might end up making a tournament. They got a closer. It's already got 11 saves. Wouldn't it be great if we had that? Six, three winners in Lexington last night. That's Eastern Kentucky, the Colonels. They beat us uh, back in the 2016 uh, season we won the SEC. Uh, Missouri, 11-7 winners over Illinois. If you're Missouri, you'll take any win you get, but that's over a Power 5 opponent. So, uh, nice win up there for the Tigers. And, of course, your Bulldogs, 10-4 winners. They're at AutoZone Park in Memphis. Vanderbilt, again, the, the real beefy non-conference schedule. They beat Lipscomb 7-1. Yeah, probably could have pulled nine kids out of the stands. Uh, seven to one winners, Vanderbilt. Uh, they're ranked ninth right now. I am not on the Vandy bandwagon. Will they be a tough team in the regional? Yes, they will. Will they get to Omaha? I don't think so. I don't think they have the pitching, and I think their offensive firepower is uh, a little bit subdued from what it has been. I think we broke them. I really do. And I think Tennessee is going to humble the fine folks from Nashville this weekend. Presbyterian. Roll into Columbia, South Carolina. Of course, South Carolina, you know, with a big win over the weekend, you know, they take the series from Vanderbilt and then they lose the midweek game to Presbyterian. Those are the kind of things that just aggravate you if you're a Gamecock fan. It's like, you know, I've kind of given up on the season. I'm pushing for a coaching change. You suck me back in with a big unexpected series win. And now I'm back on board. And then you go drop a midweek game to Presbyterian. Those are the kind of things that keep you out of the tournament. Uh, so, not the best of times in Columbia, South Carolina. I do think Ray Tanner will have to make a coaching change here in the offseason. Jacksonville State, the Gamecocks, roll into Auburn. Win that game 5-2. Similar situation. Auburn's off to a pretty good start this year. And then Jayville State, a very solid mid-major program here in the Southeast, goes into Auburn, wins the ballgame. And to hold Auburn two runs, that's pretty good. Because you know Jacksonville State's not throwing their weekend guys in that game. A pretty good effort there from the Gamecocks. South Alabama nearly pulls it off at Alabama. Alabama, of course, uh, 
struggling a little bit. Still like that team, though. You know, I, I like their team. They have some interesting pieces. They've just got to find some guys in that bullpen, kind of short things down, kind of sounds familiar. Alabama, a 5-4 winner over the Jaguars of South Alabama. Another very solid G5 program or mid-major program, whatever label you want to put on it. You know, the Jags have built a pretty good tradition down there. And, again, they're getting a lot of players, too, that are getting kind of Mississippi State and Ole Miss interest, but maybe not offers. Florida State, ranked number five. You know, I don't know if you know this. Maybe you do. Florida State, most appearances in an NCAA tournament without winning the College World Series. And it's, it's become kind of their calling card. You know, it's like everybody talks about, you know, blue bloods and things like that. And, and we, they're certainly a blue blood of college baseball, but they are yet to win it all. They go into Gainesville, Florida. The number 14 Florida Gators win 6-3. Big win for the Gators after a tough weekend against LSU. Texas A&M, they're, I mean, they're one of these, uh, you know, schizophrenic teams too. They go into Austin, Texas, and the, uh, the eyes of Texas were crying in postgame as the Aggies win 12-9. to Texas, a team that uh, has not really been the same since losing Tanner Witt. And, you know, we can kind of relate to that, too, with losing Landon Sims. I expected a lot from this Texas team. I still do. But they are underperforming. I don't think there's any question. And, then, you know, they get so close last year to playing for an AFL championship, you know, with top five finish, and you return most of your team with the exception of a couple pitchers, and then here you are. Here you are. Kind of just – you were number one, and then you had that uh, that wild loss, you know, at South Carolina. You know, again, again, South Carolina, it's like you beat – you got a couple of big wins here, a couple of top ten series wins, but then you can't win in a midweek. And then A&M, you know, they've been kind of up and down too. That'll be an interesting series when we head out to Bluebell Park. Ole Miss destroys North Alabama. You remember North Alabama beat Alabama earlier this year. Ole Miss – 20-3 winners, and of course their, their game against Memphis tonight has been canceled. For some reason, man, Ole Miss and Memphis, the weather's just not cooperating with them. They've already canceled one game. I had somebody tell me last night they had a problem with the tarp and all kind of issues. Uh, but Ole Miss, a, uh, a, a very loud win from an offensive standpoint. I mean, yes, North Alabama, the Golden Lions, not necessarily a, uh, you know, a marquee win, but, you know, it's Anybody that scores 20 runs in the midweek is feeling pretty good about life. Uh, Louisiana Monroe, losers at LSU, 15-4. The Tigers, offensively, last three games, been absolutely outstanding. They're beginning to find it. And that's Jay Johnson, too. Jay is an offensive-minded coach. They are a launch-angle coach team. And, of course, they're going to score a lot of runs at their place. It will be interesting to see what happens when they come to Starkville. Really, really interesting. And then Little Rock. They go to Arkansas. It's a 16-8 ball game. Arkansas Little Rock, of course, uh, you know, just down the road there, kind of getting some of those guys that had Arkansas interests that didn't have Arkansas offers. Uh, so 16-8 winners for the Hogs as they appear to be swinging the bats pretty well as we get ready to head to Fayetteville. Now tonight, a much more limited schedule, but Arkansas, unless that game has been canceled, and to date it has not, you know, with the weather that's out there. Little Rock back at Arkansas. You expect Arkansas to win the game. I'd l- we'd love to see Little Rock uh, make them extend some pitching, though. Get in the bullpen a little bit. A five-game week is difficult to navigate. 
And the Razorbacks don't have a lot of pitching depth. They're very, very good at their ballpark. But pitching, they're not what they were a year ago. You can't call the cops anymore. And probably good for Kevin Cops. His arm might have fallen off. Western, Western Carolina will be at Tennessee tonight. That should be a bloodbath. And then Southern Illinois will visit Missouri. Those are your only three games tonight involving SEC teams now that the Ole Miss-Memphis game uh, has been canceled. We'll preview the weekend, but let me give you a, a just a quick uh, you know, look ahead here. Your Thursday games, you know, we get started. Got a couple series starting on Thursday. Auburn will visit LSU, and Florida will visit Georgia. Those series get underway on Thursday. And the good thing is they're not all going to be on the streaming apps. You can watch them on your TV uh, without having to go to all the trouble. I know a lot of people, like, have the Roku and all that kind of stuff. We do, too. But um, I know some of our folks end up watching the games on their phones. Uh, you won't have to do that with these. The Auburn-LSU series Thursday will open on the SEC Network. And then the Florida-Georgia series will open on ESPNU. And real quickly, too, just kind of taking a quick look to see who's who this weekend. Um, Ole Miss will be at Kentucky. And, of course, Mississippi State at Arkansas. Tennessee will be at Vanderbilt. That's the one everybody's kind of got their eye on. I really think Tennessee is going to win this thing handily. South Carolina will be at Missouri. Again, kind of the roller coaster ride that is being a Gamecock fan. You know, what happens in Mizzou? You know, Beezer and those guys up there at Mizzou are good enough to win a game. They ambushed us last year, if you guys recall. So South Carolina need not show up uh, in Columbia, Missouri, thinking it's going to be a cakewalk. It won't be. A&M, of course, at Alabama, and then Auburn at LSU. So that's what we're going to look at. We're going to get more in-depth with that on the Friday show. But uh, you know, pretty excited about kind of where we are uh, in recent weeks. You know, we've, we've kind of begun to figure some things out. It's not as maybe – Maybe hadn't gone as pleasantly as we'd like for it to go. But uh, looking at the overall SEC records here, too, you know, we, we're not in SEC play right now. We'll be this weekend. But there are a few things that jump out, you know, when you look at this. You know, South Carolina is still the only team in the SEC that doesn't have a winning record. They're 12-12, and 12, despite having those two very big weekend wins. And we talked about them going to Missouri. South Carolina 0-5 on the road this year. That's the worst in the conference. Alabama, the only team that's anywhere close. They're 1-7, of course, the Sunday win in Starkville, their lone win. Uh, Tennessee overall 23-1. and one. Their one loss was a midweek game, kind of inexplicable when you look back in hindsight. Uh, Vanderbilt 14-2, and two, but I'm, I'm still not buying the Vandy love. Excuse me, they're 20-4, and four, excuse me. Uh, Georgia 19-6. and six. I think they're probably, their record maybe not truly indicative of their team, I think they will kind of come back to earth now that we're in SEC play. Florida 18 and 7, Kentucky 17 and 9, South Carolina, as I mentioned, 12 and 12, and Missouri 14 and 7. I'm sure the guys at Missouri are thinking, hey, we can get these guys. They're a bad road team. It's been very up and down. They're going to be in our neck of the woods. We ought to be able to win that series, and that would be extremely detrimental to South Carolina's chances of making the tournament. They're already up against the wall right now. You lose a series like that. Uh, to a team that will, will likely finish 14th in the league, that's going to drag the RPI down the entire year. Arkansas, our friends in Fayetteville, 19-4 and overall, 15-2 and at home. Now, we're going to talk more about this on Friday, but one of the things that I have always thought about Arkansas, that park plays small to left-handers, and they had a ton of them last year. We've got a lot more this year when we go up there. I think we'll have an opportunity – you know, with Hunter Hines and Kellum Clark and those guys 
uh, being able to swing at that shorter porch out in right field. That'll be awfully interesting. And eager to get up there and kind of see uh, the enhancements to the stadium. I know they've done some work here in the last year. Uh, LSU, 18-7. and seven. Auburn, 17-8. and eight. A&M, 15-9. Your Bulldogs, 16-10. and 10. So when you look at it, you know, we're a couple of games out. You know, and you begin to think about the games that we've lost. You know, you already have 10 losses. That, that's the big number that stands out. You can say, well, you know, if you beat Eastern Kentucky or you beat Northern Kentucky in that Friday game that you blew, you win that Georgia game, you know, all of a sudden, you know, you're 19 and 7 and nobody's even really complaining up much. Ole Miss 17 and 7 and Alabama 15 and 11. So that, that's where we are right now. All right, taking a quick look at some SEC statistics, too. Did you know that Preston Johnson is third in the SEC in strikeouts? You probably didn't know that, did you? Now, our numbers are really good as a team when it comes to strikeouts. But uh, Preston Johnson, third, and uh, just four out of first place. Chase Dollander had a big weekend last weekend against Ole Miss, 54. And Hunter Barco is second. And then there's Preston Johnson right there at 50. So right there. And then we'll see Connor Nolan this weekend at Arkansas. He's fifth in the league at 47. Uh, hitting, you know, this is where – this is interesting to me. There's so much about this that um, – you know, the Sonny DeChera guy that transferred from Sanford to Auburn is absolutely killing it. I mean, absolutely killing it. You know, he was a big kind of overweight guy. People look at him and say, ah, you know, I don't know. He's hitting 455. And you can say, well, maybe he's not playing a whole lot. No, he's got 66 at-bats. I mean, he doesn't have as much as some of the other guys as contemporaries in the conference. But when you take that out and you consider that he's got 10 doubles and 7 home runs and 21 RBIs and 66 at-bats, that's absolutely getting it done. Dominic Keegan uh, from Vanderbilt, former first baseman, moved the catcher, hitting 419. Pretty good day for him. Pretty good uh, start to the season, uh, to say the least. You know, so we'll see how you know things go there. So let's get a little deeper into this thing. You know, some some names that you may be familiar with. Um, you know, Tommy Seidel from this past weekend hitting 363 from Alabama, had a decent weekend against Mississippi State. You got to go down a good bit though to find uh, Cameron James, Mississippi State's leading hitter, is hitting 340, a little bit farther down the list. You know, and and Cam is a guy too that could still work his way into an All SEC type deal. Another name to kind of think of for this weekend, leading hitter Michael Turner, the catcher from Arkansas. You know, it's like oh, you, they get rid of one guy and all of a sudden there's another one, and that's what you do. You know, when you're a blue blood program like Arkansas, and I think Arkansas is behind Mississippi State in the national pecking order, even though they've had a pretty good run as of late. They're recruiting at a very high level, but uh, yeah, I mean, you, you kind of get it done. Now, looking at um, home runs, and uh, we got a handful of guys kind of in the mix here, because sometimes we get caught up in the big maroon bubble and we don't understand kind of where we are in the national landscape and the southeastern landscape. Okay, so there is a three-way tie for first place in the SEC in home runs. Trey Lipscomb from Tennessee, Judd Fabian from Florida, and Tim Elko from Ole Miss all have 10. Probably not a surprise to anybody. Lipscomb may be the guy that is maybe the outlier. You look out and you say, man, this guy's having a career type year, and he absolutely is. Hitting 382 with 44 ribbies. That'll get it done. Okay, then you go down a little bit longer. We're only talking two spots here. So you got a couple Bulldogs tied for third with eight. They're tied with Chase Eastup from Kentucky, Jacob Berry from LSU. And, um, you know, so it's a four-way tie there for third. It's a couple of guys ahead of them. 
But, uh, you know, we're putting some balls in play. Got a couple of guys doing a pretty good job there. Brad Cumbus, of course, just behind there with seven. So not too far off the league lead there, despite the fact that we have had some real issues. Now, another statistic that will jump out you, at you a little bit here. And I've talked about Hunter Hines maybe a freshman All-American. He is fourth in the SEC in RBIs. Fourth. Got 31. Hitting 312. Of course, got the eight dingers. 31 ribbies. He's three behind Tim Elko, the captain at Ole Miss. Those are some pretty big numbers right there. I mean, and you begin to kind of break this thing down and you begin to realize Hunter Hines is having kind of a historic season as a freshman at Mississippi State. This guy could put up some huge numbers. I like where he is in the order. Uh, your, your overall leader, of course, is Trey Lipscomb with 44. But uh, Braden Jobert from LSU 36 and Elko 34. And then there's Hunter Hines. And then there's a bunch of LSU people right behind him. But you kind of get my point. It's like that's kind of quietly happening. Nobody's really talking about it. Uh, the, the number two guys on your team, Kelvin Clark and Logan Tanner, got 26. So you got some guys out there that are driving in some runs. No, it's not Cam James. No, it's not really Luke Alexander. But they will get it going. And I think you're seeing you know, Cam James kind of push some things together here as of late. R.J. Yeager with 22 ribbies, kind of right there in the thick of things through too. But uh, that just really jumps out to me that Hunter Hines, the freshman, the designated hitter, 31. 31 already. And he has 18 walks. I mean, how many times do you see a freshman get walked that often? What's interesting, too, is three State has uh, three you know, kind of right there near the league leaders in walks. Hunter Hines, of course, with 18. And then Logan Tanner has 19. That's a sign of maturity. And Luke Hancock with 21. Cole Kaler at A&M has 27. He leads the league. But, you know, you're right there. You're absolutely right there. All of that is interesting to me. It's like we look at the offensive numbers because you're only you're so acutely aware of what's happening, you know, in your own with your own team that you don't always realize what it's like to put it in proper context. Interesting numbers here too. Strikeouts. There's a lot of those, right? You'd say, okay, you know, you know, our leading strikeout guy is Hunter Hines, and he is well down the list with 22. And you can say, well, Steve, that's still a lot. Yeah, Tim Elko is a guy that's an absolute stud at all miss. He's got 26. And there's a lot of that, you know, with power hitters, a lot of swing and miss. You know, people get you on a change, that sort of stuff. Uh, but Jacob uh, Plastiak at Kentucky has 38. 38. That's a lot. That's an awful lot. But all that is interesting to me, and I thought we'd point that out today because I think it's important to kind of understand, you know, when you look at things in a proper context, you think, well, how does all this look compared to the rest of the league? Well, here we are. I mentioned the strikeouts earlier. Uh, hits allowed for pitchers. Ironically, the guy from Mississippi State's had the most hits against is Cade Smith. And you say, well, Steve, it's, it's a product of pitching a lot of innings. It is. It's also a product, too, to show that that's a guy, too, that once he gets in trouble, can get himself out of trouble. The guy's got a bright future ahead of Mississippi State. He's actually seventh, seventh in the SEC and hits allowed among pitchers. Micah Dallas from A&M uh, has the most at 35, tied with Noah Hall from South Carolina. Connor Nolan, guy we're going to see this weekend, he's given up a hit per inning at Arkansas. That's why it's important to work the count and get some guys on base, for sure. There's no doubt about that at all. Uh, opponents batting average against, and of course there's a lot of guys out here with you know, kind of limited stats, but 
you know, we're not going to see a lot of those guys this weekend. The one guy we're going to see, Jackson Wiggins, this is a guy that's not giving up much at all. It's 19 hits and 34 innings pitched. He's 4-0 and on the year, six starts. Done a really good job. Uh, right there, about 2-1 to one strike to walkout ratio, though. But he's getting soft contact. Teams aren't putting a lot of balls uh, in play against him that would cause a lot of issues. So always important to look at those things and kind of take them in their proper context. And, um, you know, we talk about ERA and that sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, it's about winning. It is simply about winning. And that's where we are. Cade Smith, among the league leaders in ERA, probably, I guess, around 14, 15 there. He and Preston Johnson both right there. Parker Stinnett, not too far off the list, too, at 4.67. And so it's like we begin to think, we, sometimes we compare ERAs in college to what we see in the pros, and we, it's not necessarily fair. So that's kind of where we are. I just thought we would kind of take a quick look at that just to kind of understand, you know, how our guys are kind of shaping up against the rest. And, again, I go back to this Hunter Hines thing. Enjoy this. He's going to be around a couple years, should be. Um the guy's having a pretty special year, and he's kind of quietly doing it. You know, nobody's even really talking about him. No, nobody's like, hey, you know, what about that freshman at Mississippi State? And I suspect as we get a little deeper into the year, you're going to start hearing a lot more buzz about Hunter Hines. And so that's exciting, as well as it should be. But, uh, again, among the league leaders in RBIs, just as a freshman. All right, final segment of the show brought to you by Portico. Your friends at Portico would love for you to be their neighbors. Many of the people involved in that have a place in Starkville. You could have a place in Starkville, too. Haven't you always wanted to say, that? hey, we've got a place in Starkville? As much fun as it is to say that, it's even more fun to actually have it. Starkville is a great place. You can make Starkville your home, make it your retirement community, make it your ballgame weekend retreat. You're up here anyway. Instead of having to lug all that tailgating gear back and forth to Jackson or Memphis or Birmingham, wherever you're coming from, why not just go ahead and bite the bullet and move over here? We'd love to have you. I don't want to have to wait for a table at my favorite restaurants, but I want you to be here. Uh, to enjoy the greater Starkville area. Portico is very easy to get to. You turn off of 82 on a 12 like going to campus. Very first ride, Pat Station Road. See how easy and convenient that is? You're 1.1 miles away from Mississippi State. I mean, the only time you live closer is when you were in college here, right? Now you don't have to worry about that. You're on the quiet side of campus. We're all getting a little bit older. You know, we got to have the music turned down you know, by 8 o'clock or whatever. You know, it's not like it was years ago. But Portico can take care of you. If I was moving to Starkville now, I would move to Portico. It's just so convenient. And the construction there is outstanding. Go by and see it yourself. You don't have to go hire a real estate agent. Just pass through the neighborhood. You'll be glad you did. You cross out. You take Pat Station Road. You go over Old West Point Road. Boom, there you are, Portico. If you need more information, and I'm certain you do, give Brooks Bryan a call. That's right, the Brooks Bryan, the legend from Mississippi State Baseball. 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. You can have a two-bedroom, two-bath home, up to a four-bedroom, four-bath home. Uh, phase one's completely sold out. Phase two, under development now. Get on board today and make Portico your next move. All right, let's do some basketball stuff before we get out the door here. Uh, weather's on its way. I hope you guys are going to be safe. Mississippi State announced James Miller, associate head coach from New Mexico State, will be joining Coach Christians uh, on the bench. You know, Miller, of course, was considered one of the front runners for the job at New Mexico State. He didn't get the job. Now he's here. So now it makes perfect sense that we would have him here 
a guy that's done a great job. And a lot of people say it's just a matter of time before he is a head coach. Does that mean he comes to Mississippi State, stays a year, stays two? Don't know. What that does mean, if he does become a head coach in, after a couple of years, he's done another good job here. And so I, I'm going to go ahead and get out of the gate here now and say this. It is only a matter of time before he is a head coach. And once he is, please don't get into Facebook groups and say, what's wrong? Why would he leave? Well, he's leaving for promotion, right? That's going to happen. This guy is going to be a head coach. Uh, spent four years there at New Mexico State. A guy that, uh, you know, a lot of people say, you know, he is Chris Jan's right-hand man. So you get him here, uh, pretty impressive. Pretty impressive to be able to bring him here. Uh, he has spent a lot of time coaching. He was a student manager with Colorado State. Got his bachelor's degree. Immediately went to work as a coach. Immediately. Four seasons with uh, CSU Pueblo before serving as an intern with Arizona State. And that's right out of college. That's pretty impressive there, too. So, a, a guy, obviously, that has got some time in the junior college ranks. We've talked about how important that junior college experiences are with people that uh, have the portal. Because you're recruiting for the short term in many respects. You're trying to build a brand and build a team at the same time. And the way you build a brand, the way you build a program, the way you build better tradition – is to put a better team on the floor. And that's where I think the portal can help us do that, you know, almost immediately. And so uh, excited to hear about James Miller. Uh, a lot of discussion out there about George Brooks, you know, uh, what's going to happen with him. You know, talked to Paul Jones a bit earlier today. We kind of compared some notes. And, you know, I think there's a possibility that, that George does end up staying. You know, not exactly sure how that's all going to shake out. I know that George has a tremendous amount of support among the fan base, and George is one of us. You know, So you'd like to see this work out. And I think, too, having George around, I think it really helps your ability to kind of keep this roster together, not to mention this recruiting class together. George is a guy that has connections with all these people. You know how, you know how it is? Like, you know, I'm, I'm at a job. I'm, I'm uncertain. All of a sudden, you know, there's a change in, in leadership. Wh what's my role in all this? And so it would be nice to have somebody that could be able to kind of communicate the vision that you already know and trust. And I think that's where George comes in. So it makes perfect sense to me uh, to keep George Brooks. Of course, Christian's not going to reach out and ask me for my, my opinion. But I do think that it makes good sense. And I, knew that, I know that George has spoken with Coach Jans. Uh, I know that has taken place. Just not exactly sure what's going to take place at this point. But I am leaning towards George being here in some capacity. Just not exactly sure what's going to take place. And uh, – I think that is big for Mississippi State. I think Mississippi State fans would be very happy about that. Again, George, extremely popular uh, with our fans. And a guy that's been extremely loyal to Mississippi State. And here's the thing, too. We talk about recruiting, and I don't think people fully appreciate how, how much relationships matter. You can say, well, you know, hey, it's, uh, you know, it's an SEC opportunity, and so they show up. You know, George Brooks can call any AAU coach – in the southeast and perhaps a country and his number is already saved in their phone when those guys have players they know who to contact so hey who do i know at mississippi state oh i know george brooks because in the college basketball recruiting world george brooks's name is synonymous with mississippi state oh that's my guy at mississippi state so keeping him here is huge for mississippi state and i, and I do expect that to happen in some capacity and we'll just kind of see how things progress but I think 
that is among the best moves that Chris Jans uh, can make uh, is finding a role for George Brooks and uh, certainly expect that to happen. And I think that is big, not just for this year, not just keeping guys out of the portal, but keeping this class together. And then I think, too, you give George, you know, a year or so to, um, you know, to, to get uh, George to show some value to Chris Jans. You know, that's pretty incredible, too. Uh, David Anwar, of course, is a name that, uh, you know, has been mentioned some on the message boards. There was some discussion before. Maybe he wasn't coming. Maybe he was coming. Um, it does appear that uh, he is going to be joining the staff. And so not sure that the full staff comes intact from New Mexico State. But it does appear that Chris Jans is doing a good job bringing the guys with him that understand his system on and off the court, not just what we want to do offensively and defensively. But, you know, if Chris wants to hit the ground running, he needs to have some able lieutenants around him that kind of share his vision and know what he, his expectations are. You know, if Jans has to sit around with a couple new assistant coaches and say, okay, here's how we want to do this. Here's how we want to attack the 1-3-1. Here's what we want to do here. Here's how our pressures work. You know, he didn't have to do a lot of teaching of coaches. They can get to work and start teaching players, and I think that's very significant. Uh, so we'll see how things go there. And, again, still hearing some rumors out there about some, uh, some women's assistants. I know Robbie Falk is working some leads there. We have spoken uh, in recent days, and, uh, you know, it's one of the things, too, that I've learned about this assistant coaching thing, too. It's different if their names are being mentioned in connection with a head coaching job. People expect that. But when people hear that this guy may be leaving there, people are a little more reserved, I guess you would say, with sharing that information. Because what if it doesn't work out? You know, what if they pursued this job and then they don't get it and it gets out there publicly, then they have to go back with their tail between their legs you know, and so it's a difficult circumstance. So people sometimes are a little more guarded with that information, but we're doing our best to get you guys some information over jeanspage.com, the Mississippi State affiliate for 247 Sports. All right. Uh, thank everybody for your support of, uh, of Dogpile. It is still available, and uh, it's in stores everywhere. As I mentioned, I'll be out signing books this weekend up in the natural state. Looking forward to getting up there and seeing some family that I have. Uh, but Here's the deal. If you can't make it, you can still order the books. Go to Dogpile the Book, and while you're there, you can get – I get this question all the time. You can get Dogpile. You can get Flim Flam. You can get Stark Villains. You can get Alpha Dogs. All of it's right there. And, of course, uh, Dr. Miller's Turkey Book also hosted on our website. So if you're looking to find that book about turkey hunting we've talked about on the show, you can find it there. I mentioned it on the show, and, like, the next day you guys bought, like, 50 books. You guys are incredible. Uh, Dr. Miller, of course, was a professor emeritus at Mississippi State, and sadly he passed away uh, before this book was published. And um, so we're doing our part to maybe help that family sell some of these books, so you can pick that up while you're there. If you're looking for Blooms of Oleander, and it seems like every book signing that I go to, people are always asking me, hey, Steve, did you bring Blooms? And, and don't have it with me. i got to do a better job of that. You know, of course, that's part of the issue. Uh, you know, I've got a publisher that publishes sports books, so they supply all those things. I don't have to think about it. You know, sometimes I'm happy to get my laptop and my suitcase in the car. I'm not thinking uh, about getting blooms. But you, if, you can't, if you can't find it from me, you can find it in most bookstores uh, around this area. But also, too, you can find it on Amazon and booksamillion.com, barnesandnoble.com. It's available. It's out there. Be sure and check it out. Uh, you guys have been incredibly awesome to me. I will do my best to honor my end of that deal and keep being awesome to you. Uh, we got, we'll have some big announcements here coming up pretty soon, and I'm looking forward to sharing that with you. But um, – 
for now, we got to kind of uh, keep keep things where they are. But uh, there's some cool things that are in in uh, in the future. Let's just say that having some conversations. You know, people have said, "Well, Steve, you haven't been around as much lately." Well, it's because I've been working on some other things. It's pretty big. So how about that? A little teaser there for you. So we'll see. May have to hire some people, you know, to represent me. A couple things. If that gives you any idea what we're working on. So uh, we'll see how things go. And uh, I, I saw, I tell you what's interesting. I, I was leaving Memphis yesterday and uh, ran into a guy that had a Stark Villains hoodie on. And I was like, these are my people. And so thanks for wearing that and repping the brand. If you're looking for Stark Villains gear, you can find it at StarkVillains.com. Everybody deserves a Stark Villain shirt. Everybody. And be sure and check that out. Be, go ahead and do it today. You'll be glad you did. Order something for yourself and just tell your significant other, hey, I got a package coming. Or maybe don't tell them. They can find out when Amazon gets there. Find out, you know, whatever. Whenever the mailman brings it, you'll have it. Buy them one, too. That way they won't complain about it. That's StarkVillains.com. Listen, we'll be back on Friday. And again, prepare. I will record that Thursday night so I can get on the road sooner rather than later. Even though it's a night game, I want to get up there and get settled and uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a drive. And I love traveling the Southeastern Conference. And I do like Fayetteville. I think Fayetteville is a cool little town. I like that whole area of, of Northwest Arkansas. I've had a chance to kind of get out and enjoy Bentonville and Rogers and all that stuff. And uh, it's great. Run a, run a race out there before. It's, it's, it's a fun place to be. If you like to be outdoors, Northwest Arkansas is fabulous. So I'm going to get up there and see my grandchild and then hopefully see the Bulldogs win a series against the Razorbacks. We'll preview that and the rest of the SEC weekend on Friday and probably have some more men's and women's uh, hires by then, I would hope. I would hope. There's one I'm really confident about, another one not so sure just yet. So we'll get back to you on then. Uh, But until then, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live.